They right. are openly used the euro, but when it went to uh, Northern Ireland, they used the pound. Okay. So, it definitely was an interesting, uh, like, conflict of currencies going on. Mm-hmm. Especially when going from the Republic of Ireland to Northern Ireland was just as simple as driving over the border, no checks, no passes, no nothing. Yeah. Uh, that the currency was so easily changed as well. So. Yeah. Uh, next question, I suppose. Uh, question number two: How has the EU affected the economy of the nations inside it and around it? We touched a little bit uh, on this previously yeah. with the uh, euro, but to go more mm. into depth on how the EU regulates the uh, economy of the different well, nations. Well, uh, the EU has greatly benefited the economy of some of the nations. Germany and France have had uh, great uh, growth in uh, their economic sectors, though uh, it doesn't always help uh, all of the nations. Uh, Many of the smaller nations uh, are harmed by it because they have to sell their resources to, say, more industrialized Germany, and often... uh, they exploit these smaller nations uh, similar to uh, how uh, Italy has been in the EU most of the time uh, but it's gone through five recessions in the past 20 years uh, and often these like uh, the heads of it, the EU like Germany would loan money to these smaller nations knowing that they could not pay it back and then once they uh, are deeply indebted to them they then have to start selling their land to the EU or their businesses uh, to larger portions of the EU like Germany who then benefits economically. Uh, Overall it has made the trade itself better uh, it's much easier to trade between uh, the European nations uh, and like I said before with the euro it does uh, benefit them to have uh, this single currency even in world trade uh, a, uh, another uh, benefit that one could view towards that is uh, their food because all the nations are under the same food standards, uh, it's more likely to have safe food. While not directly the economy, uh, the state of uh, the food industry is deeply important to any nation. I agree, I agree. Uh, But generally, it does favor these larger... Uh, nations Uh, for example the International uh, Monetary Fund shows that the capital uh, or per capita GDP of uh, Germany and the Netherlands rose by 19 and 14 respectively but when you look at smaller countries Portugal saw its rates rise by 10% and Greece saw it decline by 7% and Italy only gained the 6 so going back to the previous these larger uh, nations some of the people who founded it are doing much better than others. 
yeah, nations that had a uh, semi predisposition of uh, larger population density before entering the EU. Now, afterwards, having joined, have the... And it's generally looking at it, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the physically larger nations of the EU uh, that have more physical land are already seemingly benefited. Well, I mean, for the most part, because Germany and France are definitely viewed as the powerhouses of the European Union, um, but... Uh, not always necessarily. Like I said, uh, the Netherlands benefits a lot. Netherlands is a smaller yeah, nation. Is long, so. uh, but I refer to larger generally towards Germany and France. Yeah. Uh, so, next question. Uh, what are some of the negative effects that the European Union have had, the European Union has had on uh, Eastern Europe? Uh, so, uh, one of the, um, major, uh, points that, uh, we've had in the class, uh, is the Ukraine. How, uh, its population has dropped drastically, uh, since the European Union, uh, peaking in 1990 with 51,400, or no, 51,463,101 people uh, to uh, the current day of 43, uh, actually, hmm. yeah, 43,733,159. That's a nearly, uh, Ten million people gone. Hmm. Uh, the one of the large reasons is the business there isn't good because a lot of the good business has moved towards uh, Germany and France. Uh, the Ukrainian people leave; they move out. There's better economic opportunities in these larger nations, and as they move, they become. Uh, immigrants and needing any job that they can for the reason they moved and so they end up this cheaper labor force and then with everyone moving out of it the people who are left uh, in the Ukraine are the elderly or those who are incapable of moving so the standards of living in the Ukraine subsequently drop accordingly to these people leaving because of these kind of movements uh, which is common in many of the eastern nations of the EU who joined later, uh, they end up uh, losing that. And then also the people who uh, do move that way uh, can often be the more, uh, let's say, energetic people, the people who uh, want to live a better life. And... If, say, they move to another nation, they're no longer helping their nation. So if you take, you know, the most uh, intelligent people or the hardest working people and they all move, well, then you're left without them. Uh, it's also, uh, back to the previous part with how the voting works, um, the 
EU has a uh, voting system where, like, each member uh, has a certain number of votes and all that. But for anything to be passed um, in the European Union, uh, it has to have a majority of the nations agree. Or the majority of the population agree. So as Germany and France having these much larger um, populations in the surrounding nations, if both of them agree on an idea, it doesn't require them to get uh, the approval of most of the nations, only a couple, because of their much larger population. And so that disenfranchises the eastern nations and some of the southern and smaller nations. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. That is with Ukraine uh, in some small way, where the younger population leaving and seeking out different economic opportunities. Vermont suffers from a similar problem to that, absolutely. Uh, so there's no foreign issue, uh, and the matter of two large powerhouses affecting how elections go. Also similar to the United States with Texas and California. So yeah. these are not problems for the United States exclusively, but definitely within the European Union, it is a definite disenfranchisement of the interests of Eastern Europe in favor of Western European nations, mm-hmm. whether by coincidence or design. And once these larger uh, nations like Germany and France have this power, they have little reason to give it up. Yeah. Simply. uh, Nothing necessarily heinous about making sure that you are in the best position you can be in. Yeah. But the exploitation of other nations, that's where the maliciousness comes in. Yeah. Alright, so we'll move on to the next question then. Uh... What are some of the positives and negatives of the UK leaving the EU? Well, uh, a negative for it is simply the amount of uh, dispute that it's caused. I can't think of a good word for it, but all the issues of having to come up with these new resolutions. How does it work? How is Northern Ireland going to work? Uh, how is Ireland going to or uh, the nation of Ireland going to respond to Northern Ireland? Um, the, the Republic of Republic, Ireland. Republic of Ireland uh, respond to how Northern Ireland's borders may get shifted uh, and how it's going to become a difficulty uh, moving uh, in and out of the UK. Uh, a positive, though, you see, as you said, you know, they never gave up the pound. Uh, because the UK was never really that deep into uh, the EU and always tried to, you know, keep its pound, keep its own way of doing things. So a lot of the uh, stressors uh, on that, uh, on the EU, are removed as the UK no longer applies them, they no longer... Uh, have their voice heard, which means the people still in the EU, uh, their voices mean more because there's less votes going in uh, than 
each individual vote means more. I actually find it uh, on one of the uh, websites Stranov, uh showed us. It showed that the United Kingdom had uh, 78 uh, members in Parliament, uh, which is over, and the total Parliament of the EU is 732, which means they had over 10% of the members of Parliament, and also they had 29 votes uh, in the Council out of 321 total votes, so they ended up having nearly 10% of that, with them being removed. Uh, the smaller nations like Cyprus, Greece, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, all of them, their voices mean more now. Uh, the uh, downside, or for the EU specifically, is that it may incentivize other nations to do the same. If uh, the UK, now that Brexit is fully finalized and it's gone through, uh, ends up within the next couple years uh, doing fine or even prospering uh, under leaving the EU, uh, they may end up being a uh, sort of symbol for other nations that it can be done and it can be for the best of your nation uh, to leave the EU. Uh, I wouldn't uh, be fully surprised if I saw some of the other nations deciding, hey, this isn't benefiting me, I'm going to leave, after the UK does it. And uh, from the time I spent uh, in Europe, uh, there was a lot of talk going on about the Brexit for obvious reasons. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I noticed was that... Uh, not every member of the United Kingdom necessarily agreed with the decision to leave the EU. I know Scotland, for one, was definitely uh, against leaving the EU. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was internal disputes within the United Kingdom as to who was really making the decision to leave. Was it the United Kingdom as a whole? Was it more so England, maybe Wales, uh, in conjunction uh, with other members? I'm not sure uh, what Northern Ireland's opinion was on the subject. Uh, I never really got that angle. I know there was plenty of concern and worry over what the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland was going to look like afterwards. Uh, that was definitely something that people were concerned about. And dis in discussions I, I had uh, in some of my classes was the mm -hmm. future of that conflict, since one of my classes was the origins of that conflict between the two borders. So, to transition... Uh, from one question to another pretty smoothly uh, how will leaving the EU affect the nations of the UK in, in the long term nations of the UK uh, them being Northern Ireland yeah. Scotland, England and Wales um, while uh, they are officially under the banner of the UK um with a lot of the political shifts happening uh, around the world right now, uh, and a big topic of uh, Europe 1914 that is uh, repeatedly brought up is the self-determination of nations. Do people 
uh, get to decide if they are their own nation, who gets to decide that, um, and what it means. With, as you said, uh, at least uh, Scotland and some other parts of uh, the UK not really agreeing with their shift, um, it definitely put tension on the uh, relationship between Scotland and uh, England. Renewed tension. Renewed tension. <laughs> but that can or could lead to even more tension to the point of say if uh, Scotland is able to or even attempt to garner its own nationhood uh, and then it could potentially try to rejoin the European Union uh, so I don't think that'll happen anytime soon that'd be a lot of uh, dominoes falling to get that to happen. Because um, Scotland would have to unintegrate the British pound from their economy, adopt the euro. Yeah. And that in and of itself seems like an economics nightmare. Yeah. Um, but I think the uh, general attitude of the different nations in uh, the UK... Uh, could uh, or do very wildly um, but I think it comes uh, back to there's different things to gain and lose from being in the European Union uh, clearly England proper wasn't getting much out of it they decided that they wanted to keep their pound uh, they very much kept their own uh, systems when it came to trade and uh, things of that nature. So, uh, but then Scotland uh, was gaining from uh, the European Union uh, through different uh, systems they had and programs that gave money to different types of uh, industries that helped them greatly and it's like I said will continue to put stress on the different nations of uh, the uh, UK alright uh, that is all of our questions uh, if there are any final points you want to put on the fate of the EU within the next few years especially considering that this past year has been chaotic to say the least, as far as you know, the shutdown of travel and the crisis of immigration throughout the EU. Well, I think at least for the uh, modern uh, immigration crisis uh, from uh, the nations of the Middle East and Africa... I think overall it has been a negative for the European people. Uh, they very much wanted to be this sort of like beacon of progressivism and showing how uh, humanitarian they are. Uh, 
uh, regardless of what other actions they may be doing in the Middle East that may say otherwise. And at least from my understanding, they came up with the idea to have, you know, all these immigrants and were fully for it before they realized what the consequences would be. And uh, I think because of the EU's uh, decision to have so many immigrants and each nation must take on these immigrants, uh, regardless of that nation's uh, decision and how a lot of it was forced by the EU itself, uh, is one of the leading causes of the rising uh, fascist and nationalist uh, idealisms in the EU right now. I'm not sure if it'll reach any sort of boiling point or pop over uh, or what have you. But I do think the EU is directly responsible for that. I think that rising nationalism may also push more and more nations to try to leave the EU because as they have this self-nationalistic identity, uh, being a part of the European Union uh, could be seen as uh, a... trying to think of the word. Sacrifice of national identity? Yes. Sacrifice of national identity is a good way to uh, phrase it. In that they... Uh, or uh, a sign of weakness even, that they count out to this bigger uh, organization uh, as opposed to leading their own people to do their own decisions. <laughs> ah, I think that was very well put. Hmm. And... Uh, I think that concludes our discussion. Yeah, I think so too. Um, well, I guess that's it. Bye, uh, Trikhanov. I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast. And hope you have a good break. <laughs>